Welcome to Parkview. Glad to have you here. It's been an incredible weekend already. About 100 people have gotten baptized, and uh, maybe you're thinking about that. So uh, I want to encourage you, if you are, got two tubs uh, ready to go for you at the end of the service. Uh, so we're going to do things differently. We're going to take up the offering right now and uh, do a couple of announcements and do things at the beginning, and then we're going to close right into uh, right into communion and then into some baptisms. And um, <clears throat> why did 100 people get baptized? Well. The thing for us is uh, Jesus said, and I'm going to talk about all of this today, but Jesus said, go in all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's something about the act of baptism, something about going under the water, the death and the burial and the resurrection, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6. That's a symbol of what goes on in our heart, and, and it's something that he asks us to do. So some of you are out there, and you've been believers for a long time. Maybe you got christened as a baby and confirmed later, and you're like, you know, I got all that stuff done already. I get that, okay? But Jesus asked you to get immersed. He asked you to get dunked. I mean, Jesus got dunked, and he said, I'm going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So I want to say to you, maybe you ought to think about doing it. Today's a great day. It's not that cold out. You go out of here in wet clothes. We got towels. We got bags for you to put on your car uh, uh, so that you don't get your car seats you know, wet. I mean, we, we, we thought of everything. We got it all organized, ready to go. Um, some of you are coming to Christ for the first time. Your relationship with Christ is new. Everybody in the New Testament that decided to follow Jesus immediately got baptized. They immediately went at that very moment and they got baptized. Um, so this should be the very first thing that we do. Go ahead and pass the uh, baskets, ushers, when you're ready, and we'll go ahead and uh, collect the offering. Um, thanks for being here, being with us. If you're thinking about that, I'm not going to preach about it. I'm going to preach about our fifth purpose. But uh, I just want to encourage you during communion, just go back to the back. We'll line you up and we'll go through and we will be here as long as we need to be here to help you get baptized. That's what's, that's what's going to be important to us, okay? A um, couple of things I want to tell you about. You know, we're going to talk about our fifth purpose, which is a mission, um, and, and I'm going to talk about that. So what we, what we try to do around here as often as we can is give you a reason to invite somebody to come and hang out. Um, so we're going to do a couple of things. One thing is uh, a men's night on uh, November 18th. We're going to do this men's night football. It's Thursday night football. Bears play Miami. Just a great opportunity for you to come out and hang out with some guys and, uh, and just be here. It's a guys-only event. I know some of you ladies like the Bears. I'm sorry you're not invited. Stay home. Um, it's a He-Man Woman Haters Club that night. Yeah. Um, you know, stop clapping. That's not right. Um, we're... So that, so that we can come and hang out. And so you can invite your friends. You're like, okay, come to church. We're going to watch the Bears game. Seriously, they're going to be like, you've got to be kidding me. You're not really. Somebody's going to you know, preach about Jesus. No, nobody's going to preach about Jesus. We're going to have a Bears game, and we're going to have fun. Uh, the second thing is Rudy's coming. Not this weekend, but the weekend after. Uh, Rudy, let me hear you. Rudy, Rudy. Okay, you've got to practice that because uh, two weekends, you're going to get to do that with the real dude. Now, don't be freaked out when the guy from the movie doesn't show up because he was an actor. Okay, I'm talking about the real Rudy is going to be here, okay? Rudy says he gets that sometimes. You're like, you don't look, no, that was the actor, okay? Um, he's going to be here. Inspirational story. Should have never made it into Notre Dame. Should have never made it on the football team. Great story. Uh, great motivational speaker. I'm going to do the interview format, which is a lot of fun. It'll be a, you know, a lot of banter back and forth and a lot of fun that we'll have together. Again, why are we doing that? So that you can have the opportunity to invite somebody. And go, hey, come to church this weekend. We got Rudy. I mean, this is not that hard, okay, because this is the fifth purpose for our life. Life is preparation for eternity, okay, and, um, and, and you should understand that. You, you should get that. 
Uh, life is preparation for eternity. I, I love that. Someday we're going to be in heaven and we're going to be doing all the things that we did, almost all the things that we did here, we're going to be doing them there, except for one. It should just blow your mind that God wants to use you for something. It should blow your mind that God has a purpose for your life. Heard about a woman who had a heart attack. She was like middle age and she had a heart attack and she went into the hospital and while she was in the hospital, she coded and had a near-death experience and actually saw God and she said, God, am I, is this it? And God said, no, 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 this isn't it. I'm sending you back. You got like 33 years left. She's like, wow, okay, well, I wonder what I should do. So she got back and she came back, you know, to life and she recuperated and she thought, you know what, what if I got 33 years left, I might as well make the most of it. So she got liposuction, she got a facelift, she had her hair done. I mean, you know, she figured I might, if I'm going to, before I get out of the hospital, I might as well become a new woman. I got 33 years left. She gets out of the hospital, she's walking across the street, gets hit by an ambulance and dies. She appears back before God and says, God, what's the deal? I thought I had 33 more years. God said, oh, sorry, I didn't recognize you. That's not true. It's not a true story. That's not the way it is. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, <laughs> it's funny, but it's not true. Jesus says that all of the hairs on your head are numbered. It doesn't matter if they're colored or highlighted or gone or whatever. He has them all numbered. He knows everything about us, and he has our purpose. We've talked about these purposes. We talked about the first one is worship, to love God. And the second one is fellowship, to love each other. And the third is discipleship, to become like Christ. And the fourth one is to serve, to use my abilities for God. And the thing about those four purposes is those are four purposes that are going to go on into heaven. But the fifth one is one that is not. The fifth one is only for right now, so there should be a little bit of an urgency about the fifth one. It's something that you can only do on the earth, and it's this. You were made for a mission. Read this out loud with me, John 17, 18. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission to the world. We have a mission. We were made for a mission. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Okay? What's our mission? Well, Paul tells us what it is in Acts chapter 20, 24. He says, the most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that Jesus gave me. What is it? To tell people the good news about God's grace. That is our mission. Our mission is to tell people the good news about God's grace. There's a word for that, and like all the other words that we've talked about, it's a word that's usually misunderstood. It's the word evangelism. Admit it, you know, as soon as you hear the word evangelism, you have this kind of a reaction, don't you? It doesn't matter whether you are a Christian or you aren't a Christian, you have the same reaction to the word evangelism. If you aren't a Christian, you think of people with big hair on the TV that are asking you for money, right? And if you are a Christian, you're worried that that means that you've got to get yourself in an uncomfortable situation with people that you barely know, kind of like this video. Coffee's hot. I just burned my tongue. Hey, you think that's hot? Yeah. You got to try that burn seven billion times hotter all over your entire body as you enter into the pits of hell because you haven't made a profession of faith turning your life over to the will of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that is a burn you won't get over. Mm. We saved you a cookie. <laughs> Admit it. That's kind of what you think, right? I got to, oh, man, I got this really uncomfortable thing I got to do. Well, listen to me. 
Evangelism is the Greek word for good news, okay? Good news. When Jesus started his ministry, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, that's, that's what evangelism is. It's good news. I know you're going to think this sounds simplistic, but I believe that the answer to all of the world's problems is Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe the answer to everything is Jesus Christ. If everyone had Jesus and lived the way Jesus modeled, wars would cease, law enforcement would be unnecessary, Illinois governors would be walking around free. Am I right? I mean, every problem that we have in the world would be solved by modeling our life after Jesus Christ. You say, well, what about famine? Yeah, we'd still have famine, but the people who had would share with those who didn't have, and everything would be okay. We'd give the shirts off our back or the shoes off our feet to help those people so everything would be better. What about death and disease, Tim? We still live in an imperfect world. No, we still would. But the truth of the matter is, if everybody followed Jesus and modeled their life after Jesus, we would all know that this life is temporary, and soon enough we're going to go on to the next life, and everything's going to be better. And then, in the meantime, when one of us got sick or one of us had a problem, we would all band together to help each other with it. One of our small groups, the small groups have been incredible, and I hope that you'll stay with it. I hope that you'll keep doing the small groups. Go on to the next study. We've got a bulletin insert for you to, to see that. Keep on going with this thing. One of the small groups, the woman who hosted it, three weeks in into this, into this lady's small group, three weeks in, she was diagnosed with cancer. And so she immediately had to go into the, into the doctor and into the hospital and get some stuff done and, and get on the recovery process. And when she got out of the hospital, the small group decided that they would go ahead and meet, and they would go ahead and meet at her house, and they all decided that they would wear their pajamas because she would still be in her pajamas recovering. And they sent me a picture. I just think this is awesome. I mean, this, that's what it's supposed to be about, right? It's like, yeah, that's really, that's a small group. I love that. Uh, I, I believe that the answer to all the world's problems is Jesus. And even though we're still going to have trouble in this world, Jesus said, take heart for I have overcome the world. That's good news, okay? It's really, really good news. It ought to be good news. So how do we take this good news out? What's our modus operandi? What, how do we do this? What's, what's, our, what's our plan? Very simple. Just before Jesus ascended back up into heaven, he said, here's the deal. Here's how I want you to handle this. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. They were in Jerusalem, just so you know. So he's saying, I want you to start at home for us. That's around us. That's, Park, that, yeah, that's Parkview. That's south suburbs of Chicago. Okay? Then I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. Who were they? They were the people that were culturally and racially a little different than them which is why we're at uh, Morningstar Ministries and Restoration Ministries and Englewood and, and taking shoes down to Chicago. That's why we're doing those things. And then we go to the ends of the earth. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you will be my prosecuting attorney. He doesn't say, you'll be my defense attorney. He doesn't say, you'll be my salesman. He says, you will be my witness. That's all you have to be. You don't have to be a theologian. You have to be a witness. John Grisham's first book, A Time to Kill, sold 5,000 copies when it first came out. Nobody knew about it. It was a flop. He wrote his second book, The Firm, and nobody knew about it at first. Not a good publisher, not a big publishing house. Nobody knew about it, but somebody started telling somebody, and they started telling somebody else, and it ended up selling 7 million copies. 
At one point in history several years ago, John Grisham was the only person in history to have the number one, the number two, and the number three bestsellers on the New York Times bestsellers list. How is that even possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. He's a good writer. And people started telling other people about it. It wasn't a big marketing plan. It was one person telling another person, I like John Grisham, you ought to read this book. And all of a sudden, the thing went crazy. It can happen with us. It, it is happening right now. You know the serving back video we did last weekend? Yeah, you know what I'm, that one? Um, that was my part, in case you missed it. Yeah, that's all I did. Uh, we put it on the web. It's on the web. It's on parkviewchurch.com. You can go on there and look. It's had 8,300 downloads so far. Because, and we didn't even think about this. We just put it on there so it'd be fun for you. But what people started telling us they've been doing is they've been, you know, they've been at work and they'd like open it up on their screen and they're like, hey, come and see what our goofy pastors did. And, you know, and then they'll never want to come to that church. But, I mean, whatever. <laughs> and, 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 they, and people, you, you can send the link. I mean, it's just a pretty simple link. And you send it to people and say, hey, this is, this is something goofy our church did. And, and it might open the door for people. There are so many ways that we can be witnesses, that we can be a satisfied customer, that we don't have to worry about telling them about hell. We don't have to worry about telling them about all those other things. All we need to tell them is what my life was like before Jesus, why I figured out I needed Jesus, how I came to Jesus, and what Jesus has done for me. I mean, it's really, really that simple. God chose us to complete the mission. So what are you going to do? I was on a plane again this week, um, just a quick trip. On the way back, I'm, I'm working on my sermon on this, and I'm thinking, you know what? I really ought to, you know, I really ought to share the gospel with this guy next to me. I mean, I really ought to feel this. I really, I mean, that, that's something I should be an example. So I started the conversation with the guy and lives here locally, you know, and, and I started talking with him, and, and finally I just went for it. I said, hey, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? I had a conversation with him. Do you know where that guy is today? He's in the audience right back there. Would you stand up? I'm just kidding. He's not here. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Uh, I was sitting next to Bill Brown, okay? But for just a minute there, you were like, oh, super pastor, you're such an evangelist, right? And then there was this little thing going on inside of you. You're going, oh, I ought to be more like that, but I'm not. Listen to me. Listen to me. Okay? I'm sorry. That was just fun. I, maybe, you should, maybe you should be talking to that person next to you in the plane, but I want to go back to the strategy that Jesus gave us in the first place. The strategy that Jesus gave us is the people that you're supposed to go to are the people that already know you. That's where you go first, okay? I read a survey this week uh, about how people come to Christ. Two percent, it's cold turkey. Two percent, okay? Six percent, it's a walk-in a church or a program. Eight percent knew the minister. Ten percent come to church or they come to Christ through a church program. Seventy-four percent come to faith in Jesus Christ because of a family member or a friend. So the first thing I must do is share with those in my world. Two little boys are talking about it in Sunday school, and one little boy says, all you need is Jesus to get into heaven. And the other one says, you mean if I want my mom to be in heaven, all I have to do is tell her about Jesus? And the other boy said, yeah. And if you don't want her there, don't tell her. You had those days, didn't you? you? You know what? It's supposed to be those people that are close to us, the ones that are around us. Jesus healed this guy one time, and the guy was like, Jesus, I want to follow you. Here's what Jesus said. It was in Luke chapter 8. Jesus said, no, for you, I want you to go back home and tell people how much God has done for you. 
Go back home. So that man went back all over town telling what Jesus had done to him, done for him. It's the people that he's close to. It's the family, the friends, the co-workers. That's your first responsibility. Yeah, you might ought to talk to the guy on the plane. Yeah, you might ought to do whatever else it is, the person that you meet on the street. But it should start with the people that actually know you. Jesus says the same thing to you. In Donald Miller's excellent book, Blue Like Jazz, he talks about Penny who came to Christ through a friend named Nadine. Penny said, the thing I loved about Nadine was that, she never, that, that I never felt like she was selling anything. She would just talk about God as if she knew him, as if she had talked to him on the phone that day. She said, some Christians I had encountered felt like they had to sell God, like he was soap or a vacuum cleaner. And it really felt like they weren't listening to me. They didn't care. They just wanted me to buy their product. But Nadine made me feel like if I met Jesus, he would really like me. Do people even know you're a Christian? I mean, that would be the place to start. Well, I put a nativity scene out in my lawn, Tim. (laughs) So does Ozzy Osbourne, okay? (laughs) Whatever. Do people people know the real you? Did you hear about the Michigan Powerball winner this week that bought his ticket in a porn store? And he, he didn't come forward. He finally, on Friday, sent somebody else, you know, they, they had a lottery club, and somebody else went, and we still don't know to this day. Well, what a dilemma, you know? I mean, do I take the $100 million and tell everybody where I bought it, or do I just walk away? I mean, what, what is it that people know you for? You can't be incognito with your faith. People are going to find out who you are. You might as well go public with it. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid that they aren't interested in spiritual things? I read a bunch of polls this week. One Gallup poll said that people are much more interested in talking about spirituality now than they were 10 years ago. Why? Well, because the economy's bad and people have problems, and the more problems we have in our life, the more we realize there's got to be something else, the more we realize we need help. Another one of the surveys said that 25% of the people who don't go to church would go to church if somebody just invited them. One out of four of your friends that doesn't go would, would come if you invited them. You know, if, if everybody that came here last weekend, there's over 6,000 people, if everybody here went and invited one person, one out of four, 25% of them would have showed up today. We'd had 1,500 more people this week than we had last week. And that would have been another service, so thank you for not doing that. But you know what? That's my point. You got, you got 25% of your friends that are just waiting for a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're just waiting for you to do something about it. That's why we're doing the Rudy thing. That's why we got Josh Hamilton coming in January. That's why we do these things so that you can have an easy way to do it. How about teens? We got a bunch of teens sitting over there. The Gallup survey that I read said that teens, yay, teens, you rock. Okay. Here's what was interesting. The Gallup survey said that teens are more interested in talking about God and spirituality than they are sex, drugs, or music. Why? Yeah, they're looking. They're hungry. They want it. You don't be afraid of this, okay? Don't think that people aren't interested. They are interested. They're searching. Why doesn't God take you to heaven? This is a question Rick Warren asked. Why doesn't God take you to heaven the minute you accept Jesus as your Savior? I mean, there's no reason for us to be here. Once we accept Jesus, once we give our hearts to Jesus, once we come up out of that tub, whatever, whatever happens, why do you stay here? There's only two things, Rick Warren said, that you can do here on earth that you can't do in heaven. One of them is sin, and one of them is tell people about Jesus. Which one do you think he left you here to do? Think about it. That's our mission. That's our goal. The only reason your heart is beating is because 2 Peter 3.9 says, God does not want 
anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. Because Jesus died for the people in your Jerusalem. Every once in a while, somebody will say to me, Tim, isn't our church big enough? And I want to say, you know what? It got big enough for me the day we moved over to Orland Park, I think, you know, 2002. I think that was probably plenty big enough for me when we moved over here that day. And I started thinking, you know, this journey that I've been on, I was looking on some old, I went back and looked at my old Purpose Driven Life sermon from 2003. And in 2003, I, I had realized that I had an evangelism sermon that I'd done in 1995. And the quote I had in 1995, I'm looking at some of you that are around in 1995. The quote I had from 1995 was, an evangelism sermon, was, some people say our church is big enough. Isn't 392 people for Easter enough? That was 1995, 392. We were psyched because we had almost 400 people for Easter in 1995. In 2003, when I quoted that in the Purpose Driven Life sermon on evangelism, I said, what would I say today, eight years later? Isn't 2,392 people enough for Easter in 2003? Well, if I keep that going, I mean, if I, uh, we had 10,000 last year for Easter. What, what, what do I say in 2010, 2011? Won't 12,392 people be enough this Easter? We add a digit every eight years. That means when I'm 65, we're going to have a million people for Easter. And I will definitely retire that year. Isn't our church big enough? Listen, the question is not how big should the church get. The question is, should anybody be left behind? And the answer is no. So we will keep figuring out what to do and how to make it happen. That's what we do. Because Jesus divided people into two categories, heaven, hell, narrow road to life, broad the road that leads to destruction, darkness, life, truth, lies. That's the way that it is, okay? When people say, well, you know what? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. They're arguing with the only person who ever raised himself from the dead who said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the problem, okay? Yeah, there might be all kinds of different ways to get in there, but the only person who ever raised himself from the dead said, I'm it. I'm the way. Peter said, there is, salvation is in no one else, or there's no other name under heaven given to men by which you must be saved. Bill Brown, um, our executive pastor, we've been praying for his dad for a long time. He passed away this morning. I'd really like for you to be in prayer for him because I know that he's story is near and dear to a lot of you. And as I went over and prayed with Bill um, before they left to go downstate, he's down in Mount Carmel, um, Bill said, you know, I said, is it all right if I talk about this during the sermon? And Bill said, man, whatever you do, make sure you tell people not to wait to talk to their family about Jesus. I mean, Jesus, Bill's dad did not grow up with Jesus. He, he, was, uh, he, he was not a believer all of his life. And it wasn't until a few years ago when Bill finally had to pull out of the uncomfortable situation of being the son and say, listen, Dad, do you know Jesus? Do you have Jesus? Will you accept Jesus? It wasn't until that conversation that he knew that he can go now and he can bury his dad and know that someday he's going to be with him forever. And, and so I ask you, how's your Jerusalem? Who is it that you need to talk to? The second thing I must do, not only is my world, but I've got to reach beyond my world. I've got to reach out to build bridges to the people outside of my world. God calls us in a lot of different ways. I'm going to show you a video 
uh, of a guy who God called into the mission field of Major League Baseball, and now he's transitioning into the mission field of the mission field, and I think this will inspire you. To interview people that are cooler than me, you know, because like last time it was Casey. But uh, today I have somebody that's cooler than me, part of our congregation, friend of mine. His name is Braden Looper, uh, former baseball player with the Milwaukee Brewers, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Florida Marlins, and the New York Mets. Uh, 12-year veteran of Major League Baseball, and I've got him here today to talk to us a little bit about how you're made for a mission. Um, Braden's got a lovely wife, Shannon, and she's from here. That's why they located this area. They got three kids, Torin, Landon, and Grayson, who they adopted from China. If you remember a Christmas Eve service last year, I think it was. We talked about that. Uh, anyway, I got Braden here because I, I wanted him to talk about being made for mission. So well, tell me, tell me first of all, I mean, they're going to be curious. Tell me some highlights of baseball for you. What, what, so what were some highlight moments? I mean, you had a lot of them. So give me your highlight reel. Baseball highlights, I mean, I think first and foremost would have been, uh, you Pitching know. Pitching against the Cubs. <laughs> that was easy for me. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so just to point out, um, he pitched against the Cubs in 2003. I just want to, I want to let you know that I feel your pain. I just want to assure you, I double-checked, and he did not pitch in the Bartman game. So that's not his fault. Uh, you know, getting drafted was, was big. Olympics was pretty cool. Um, opening day, that I, first time I ever made the big leagues, and struck out the side, which was pretty cool the first time. Uh, one, two, three, scooped right through the Dodgers order. And um, having Mark McGuire run up and bear hug me, you know, yeah. um, having my granddad there, who's that was, that was uh, one of the few games he actually got to see me pitch in the big leagues. Was my first one. Yeah. Seeing him cry, so happy yeah. that I made it, um, all the way up to, you know, being in two World Series and and um, yeah, let's show him the ring. The last one was with the Cardinals. Uh, first one with the Marlins. You also have an Olympic bronze medal. If, if there was like a, a key pivotal moment in your baseball career, what would it be? I, I mean, if I had to pick just one, it would definitely be game four of the 2003 World Series. Um, I came in the game. It, we were losing to the Yankees two to one, two games to one. Um, it was like the, uh, I think, 10th, 11th inning tie game. Uh, bases loaded. Chad Fox came in before me, got the bases loaded with one out. They brought me in the game to face Aaron Boone, who uh, this, that was the year the Yankees came back and beat the Red Sox uh, four games in a row. Um, and on the last game, uh, Aaron Boone hit a walk-off homer to beat uh, the Red Sox. Um, so I come in the game to face Aaron Boone. It's kind of like his year, you know, is what I what Here's most people were thinking, but Swing ended up striking him out. Um, ended up uh, getting the next guy out. Uh, then the next inning went right through, you know, Derek Jeter, uh, uh, right through the heart of the order. I think it was Gary Sheffield and somebody else, you know, one, two, three, and then Alex Gonzalez hit a walk-off homer. So I got the win in game four, um, which was a really cool game just because it brought it two to two instead of three to one. It goes three to one. We're probably going to lose the World Series. Because um, if they score that run, Mario Rivera was warming up. Did you feel in that moment when you're on the mound and it's there and all the cameras are on you, people are watching, did you feel like that was like your purpose at that moment, that was, that was the place you were supposed to be? I think going through everything I went through, I felt like I can remember thinking, 
all right, this is my chance to make it all right. Mm -hmm. And this is my chance. I felt like that's exactly where I was supposed to be. And all that other stuff probably happened for this moment. Mm -hmm. um, so looking back on it, yeah, I mean, I, I know for me, I've had a lot of things that people would say or, or um, world, you know, the world would look at and say, those are awesome things. That was obviously an awesome moment in baseball. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the other things I do in the mission field to me are uh, better now that I have the faith that I have. All right. You've got a new drive, a new purpose, a new mission. Uh, tell me about that. Tell me about going. I mean, I, I was in Cuba with you guys, incredible ministry. You, you've got things that are going on in Latin America. How, how does that compare now to the mission you had before? Well, I think before, you know, for a lot of my life, baseball was my mission in the sense of it wasn't a godly thing until I, I, I had the revelation that baseball was that vehicle to get me somewhere where it can help me hopefully affect people. Yeah. We go to Cuba and we, you know, we have these baseball teams that travel around and they'll stop the game and, and uh, they'll uh, have somebody either share their testimony or basically some way or another get to the gospel. Um, and a lot of these villages have never had anybody come in, much less a professional athlete or, or a baseball player from Cuba even, to talk about God. So um, this kid in this picture is a kid that's on one of our teams that um, his dad's a pastor, so he plays on the teams and he travels around and a lot of times he'll you know, be the one sharing his testimony or, or trying to share, the, you know, he shares the gospel. Yeah. And this kid uh, had a pair of shoes that were all torn up and holes in them and, and uh, he was just a special kid in the ministry. So I just, I gave him a pair of shoes and, and the guy just broke down crying. He never had a new pair of shoes. It was a pair of my shoes that I wore during the season, so they weren't even brand new, you know. Um, so he uh, he just broke down, and, and um, you know, to realize that you're blessing somebody like that, I mean, how easy was that? It's just, as a pair of my reject shoes that I wore during the season, yeah. but to this guy, they were like gold, yeah, man, absolutely. you know. And I was just trying to tell him, hey, man, you're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. uh, this ministry is based on people like you, and, you know, you can make a difference, and I, I'm proud of you, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. I, I really feel like God's staring me to be more involved in the mission area. Um, there's just something about going to a country and seeing, you know, I just got back from a school where uh, it was a private school there and these kids are living in shacks with dirt floors and, and you know, it was raining the whole time we were there and we, we'd go visit their homes and, you know, water's just pouring in everywhere and they still got outhouses, no electricity. I mean, it's, uh, you see that and you realize how lucky you are and, and, and um, you know, I go over there and just try to, I feel like God just asked me to give back and, and spend not only with my money, but with my time. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I'm, I've definitely got more time now, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to be uh, faithful with that. Good. So would you come back and play for Ozzy? <laughs> that, you only ask me that because you know what the answer is. <laughs> and I can't say the answer for the whole church. That would be a no. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, I mean, think about this. Last year, the guy got 14 wins with the Milwaukee Brewers, and this year he's in Honduras pouring concrete walls for a school um, that he's helping to build. I mean, that's made for mission, right? We're supposed, to, we're supposed to be about our world, and then we're supposed to be about the world that's out there. Jesus said, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, you cared for me. Prison, and you visited me. And we said, well, when did we do that, Lord? And he said, whenever you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. 
when we gave shoes uh, last weekend. Here's the pictures of our shoes, picture of uh, the front of the stage. Um, but what you didn't know was here's what was going on in the downstairs room while that many shoes were up on stage. Here's the picture of the other wall on the other side. The estimate is somewhere around 10,000 pairs of shoes last weekend. I love that. That's phenomenal. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Okay? We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to care for people. We had an outpouring for Thanksgiving meals. We've got 500 Thanksgiving meals that we can give out to people because you people just came for us 10 times more than we had last year. People just came forward and said, you know what, I want to help somebody. And don't worry if you're like, well, wait a minute, I didn't get to do anything. We've got like four or five different projects that we're going to be doing through Christmas. We've got a lot of things that we're going to be able to do. Great story I read this week from Elizabeth Sherrill. She was in New York, and she said one day she was typing at her computer, and she looked out the window and saw a skunk with what looked like a yellow helmet on his head. It wasn't a yellow helmet, she said. When I looked at it more closely, it was a yogurt carton. The skunk had been trying to eat out of the yogurt carton and got his head stuck in the yogurt carton. And, and he's running around her backyard, you know, running into stuff. And she said, I said to myself, somebody ought to do something. Somebody else ought to do something. And when nobody came along, she called the Department of Wildlife and said, what do I do? And the guy laughed at her a little bit. And he said, well, you need to remove the carton from his head. She said, well, thank you very much. What happens if he sprays me? And the man said, it doesn't matter. He won't spray you if he can't see you. She said, well, when I take the carton off his head, he's going to see me. Then what do I do? The man kind of laughed and said, well, you need to make sure he doesn't feel threatened. She's like, okay, I don't know how that works. But um, she went out into her backyard, decided that she needed to do something. She found the skunk. He ran by her. She grabbed the skunk, pulled the yogurt carton off his head, said she stared at him for about 10 seconds. I don't know what, you know, the non-threatening skunk look is. (laughs) But she gave it to him, and he bought it, and he didn't spray her, and he turned around, and he walked off. And she wrote about it. She said, a timeless parable played itself off. I thought the skunk was all those needs I hesitate to get involved in. Involvement takes time, and I have deadlines to meet, and I probably can't do anything anyway, and somebody else can handle it better. And besides, involvement can be ugly, and the stench might rub off on me, and all those things, of course, might be true, she said. But I've got a yellow pencil holder on my desk, a rather scratched and battered one, to remind me that every now and then God answers a need with me. That, ladies and gentlemen, is... Christianity, that's what it's all about. Jesus said, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. I just want you to know that uh, as a church, maybe you're new to us, you don't know all the things that we're involved in. We have missions in Costa Rica, Kenya, Africa, England, which is why I will have a son-in-law from England in May, Taiwan, Papua New Guinea, Mexico, Brazil, Czech Republic, Northeast Africa, and Indonesia. Phenomenal ministry in Indonesia. Guy and May Tanbunan have been there since 1973 with the Asian Pacific Christian Mission. And in that time, they have planted 180 Christian churches in Indonesia. And they're sitting right down here. Would you tell them thanks for me? Thank you, guys. 
26 of those churches are, par, are, are, are things that we've had a part of. One of our goals is to have 100 international churches planted by 2020. That's our 2020 vision. We've already got 26 with Guy and May in Indonesia. And I know you don't know about those things, but you need to know about those things. We have trips that you can go on. In 2010, we will have had 423 Parkview people on trips to mission fields somewhere besides ourselves. I want that number to grow by a digit every eight years. I want, I want for all of you to think about getting on a trip. That's what will change your life more than anything else. Jesus said, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw their lives away for my sake and the sake of the good news, there's that word again, that's your mission, only those who, who throw their lives away for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to fully live. Lance Armstrong started the most successful philanthropic organization ever to help find a, a cure for cancer. The Live Strong Foundation, the stuff that's going on, you've got the bracelets, you know about the whole, the whole thing. He started it because a doctor challenged him to start it once his cancer went into remission, once they got him healed from his cancer. The doctor said, now you need to go out and raise awareness to this because that's something that you ought to do. You have a name, you ought to go do that. And Armstrong said, why should I get involved? And the doctor made this very short statement. He said, it's the obligation of the cured. It's the obligation of the cured. If you have the good news of Jesus, if you have the hope of heaven, it's the obligation of the cured to make sure that everybody else gets the same opportunity. You've got three possible responses to being made for a mission. You can be like Moses and say, who me? You can be Jonah and say, not me. Or you can be Isaiah and say, send me. It may be small, but you don't know what God's going to do with it. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher at a congregational church. He had a student in his class named D.L. Moody. He was a 17-year-old shoe clerk. God laid it on Edward Kimball's heart to share the gospel with D.L. Moody. He actually went to the shoe store and talked to D.L. Moody at the shoe store and asked him to ask Jesus into his heart right there in the shoe store. And D.L. Moody did, and of course, if that name sounds familiar, it's Moody Bible Institute, it's, it's Moody Church. Uh, he's a man who won hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord. Not very educated, just a fiery preacher who went around and told people about Jesus. As a part of his ministry, he was in England for a time. And while he was in England, there was a pastor over there, a doctor, Dr. F.B. Meyer, who was a very intelligent preacher, uh, a very stodgy preacher over in England, who got a fire lit in his soul when he he heard D.L. Moody preach in his uneducated way and became an evangelist. And F.B. Meyer started doing evangelistic work back over in the United States of America. And while he was preaching over here one day, there was a discouraged preacher named Wilbur Chapman who was in the audience. He was thinking about giving up ministry. And instead, a fire was lit in him because of F.B. Meyer, because of Dwight L. Moody. Chapman had a fire lit in him, and he started doing evangelistic services all over the world. And as he started gaining uh, the opportunity to talk to more and more people, he grabbed a a baseball player named Billy Sunday you may have heard of. Billy Sunday was a famous baseball player who was a Christian, and he started traveling around, and he and Billy Sunday won over a million people to the Lord. And as a part of Billy Sunday's ministry, he was in Charlotte, North Carolina one time preaching a revival, and a prayer group was formed. And out of that prayer group, they started praying that God would send someone, out, that they would, God would send people, send preachers, send leaders to come and to preach. And as a part of that, a man named Mordecai Ham, who was a preacher in the area, got a fire lit under him and started preaching revivals all over Charlotte, North Carolina. 
And one night in Charlotte, North Carolina, there was a packed house, and there were two kids that walked in late, and they almost left because they couldn't find a seat. But an usher said, no, wait a minute, I'll find you a seat. And they sat, and they listened, and they accepted Christ, and one of those kids was Billy Graham, okay? And all of it started with a simple Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Joel, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be lit up from the inside. We're a city on a hill. That's what Parkview ought to be. That's what we ought to be as believers. People ought to know who we are. They ought to know the good news. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to glow. We're going to do communion now. Um, maybe this is a time for you to, uh, to recommit yourself to Jesus right now, to being that person that glows, to go out to the Jerusalem around you and talk to people. Invite them. Do what you need to do. Uh, maybe it's a time for you to commit your life to Jesus for the very first time. If you're going to get baptized, if you're coming to Christ for the first time, you ought to get baptized. And you can go right back there right now to the back and, and start lining up and get your information in there. And we're going to start baptizing people as soon as we have communion. For all of us, it's a time for us to start thinking about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be made. This is our fifth purpose. We worship, we fellowship, we grow to be like Christ in discipleship, we serve, and we glow. We're made for a mission. What is it that God wants us to do? He wants us to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the othermost parts of the world. Let's pray together and we'll have communion. Lord God, I pray for those who are in here who maybe don't know where they're going when they die and they don't have that assurance and they can't walk out of here feeling like, you know what, I got this, I, I got this figured out. It's all about Jesus and Jesus died for me and I know I have Jesus. If they don't know that, Lord, right now just let them say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. Push them right now. To say, okay, I, I, the first thing that I should do is get baptized. I should follow you. I'm going to go do it right now. I, I got my clothes on. I'll get baptized in my clothes, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm ready to go do this. They can walk out of here today. They can walk out of here today and know they, they did what you asked them to do. The hope of heaven is hanging over us, Lord, and we thank you for that. I thank you for, Bill, for Bill's dad and the fact that I know that he's with you now and that I'll be with him again. And I pray for my family, my friends, my Jerusalem people that, that don't have that, that I don't know. And I pray that you will help me to glow and to be a light to them. Lord, I just pray for all of us right now that, um, that as we take the sacrament of communion all together and as many people do the sacrament of baptism, this one-time thing, that we will remember that you loved us so much that you died for us so that we could be free so that we could be eternally free. And that is the good news that brings us here. And that is the good news that we should share. It's the obligation of the cured. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.